Welcome to the Business Extra podcast. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief with The National. With me is co-host and The National's future editor, Kelsey Warner. Hi, Kelsey. Hey, Mustafa. It's good to be here. It's good to be here as well. And, you know, both dressed like sailors today. Off we go. <laughs> Excellent. With a, a kind of maritime feel, although the conversation today has nothing to do with uh, with, with naval themes. Um, it's more about carbon trading and it very much how in the last few years in particular with the drive to net zero post Paris climate deal, how different tools are becoming popular, um, not just for corporations, but individuals as well to offset uh, some of the carbon emissions that they cannot necessarily reduce. Exactly. And Abu Dhabi made news in the past couple of weeks because ADGM, its financial center, announced that it had partnered with Air Carbon Exchange to create the world's first regulated carbon trading exchange, which I think got us here in the newsroom to pop our heads up and say carbon markets, something we've thought about, talked about for the last couple decades, as you pointed out prior to us starting recording here. Um, but I think it's a it's an idea whose time has arrived and it's time to better understand it and get a grip, come to grips with, with what it is and how it works. Well, I, I, I'm definitely interested in hearing more um, about where this goes. And, and also, maybe to the uninitiated, to go through a little bit of the history as well. Uh, but before we do that, um, I'll ask you to subscribe to this episode if you can. Um, so thank you very much for that. Okay, now the housekeeping's out of the way. Um, I want to introduce William Pazos, Bill Pazos, the co-founder and managing director of Air Carbon Exchange. Um, he's joining us from London. Bill, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Um, your your business, uh, your you're sitting in London, but it's a, a business that is working in Abu Dhabi. It's working in Brazil. It's working in Canada. It's very much a global business. And does that represent at the moment where the carbon trading market is? Yes, I mean the 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 trading is very centered around Europe. Uh, Europe has 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 sort of um, blazed the trail for the carbon markets from from its early days. Um, but the supply of credits is very much global, um, and you can basically follow the where where the world has more forests to save. That's where you're going to see a lot of activity. I mean, I think your answer was great. Um, you reached the natural conclusion, but maybe we can also pick up on the fact that, you know, what is, you know, may, maybe you can also, you know, explain for me, um, you know, what is carbon trading also? Sure. Um, <clears throat> well, I think that I'll give you a little, <clears throat> excuse me, I'll, I'll give you a little background in, in, in terms of how carbon markets sort of developed and that, and that will, um, that will sort of set the stage and then we can go into what, what actually carbon trading is. So the origins of the carbon markets come uh, go way back to 1992 at the Earth Summit in Rio. And that was the first time that um, countries got together and uh, agreed in unison that climate change, one, existed, um, and two, that um, it was a result of human activity. And uh, it wasn't actually until 97 in the, on the, the Kyoto Protocol that, um, that those same countries came with a blueprint or a solution as to how they were going to tackle this problem. Um, and that's sort of the origins of carbon trading. And what's interesting is that uh, 
the it was the United States, even though the United States has been sort of not a big participant in the carbon markets, but it was the United States at that time that promoted the idea of carbon trading. Because um, for those of us that that have a little bit more gray hair, you maybe recall the 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 um, um, the acid rain in 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 the United States. That was um, that was cured. That problem was cured by creating an, uh, a cap and trade scheme around SOX and NOx emissions in the electricity markets. And so the United States proposed this idea, well, if we want to mitigate the, 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 and reduce the amount of carbon that's going into the atmosphere, why don't we create a cap and trade scheme so that, that, um, so, so that we can sort of naturally progress to a, a, a lower carbon emissions as they saw in the SOX and NOx business. Um, so what is, what is carbon trading? And, and so the carbon trading, the, the way it works is you, you have a, a company and let's just say that company is emitting a million tons a year. Um, so you cap their emissions, let's say at 800,000 tons. So next year you can only emit 800,000 tons. So they have a problem, right? They have to reduce their emissions by 200,000 tons. Now let's say that they're very successful and they reduce their emissions to 700,000 tons, right? So now they, they've actually um, reduced their emissions over and above what their requirements. So they have a, a surplus of 100,000 tons. Now there might be another company that is trying to reduce their emissions, but they can only reduce their emissions down to, you know, same example, let's say to 900,000. Um, so they have a 100,000 ton problem. And so that company that was able to overshoot its goal can sell that excess to the second company. And, and so you create this carbon market. In order to sort of, um, uh, the, the carbon market then, in order to grease the wheels of the carbon markets, um, these companies may or may not be able to reduce their emissions to the level that they need to be reduced internally. So obviously, if you are Etihad, for example, um, you can't stop flying. So you can't stop emitting. Uh, so the carbon market allows Etihad to find the cheapest way of reducing a ton of carbon. So it may be that they find a forest in Africa that's, that's, um, that's being threatened with deforestation and they um, use their money to, to, to um, protect that forest. That forest then, the way it works is you quantify how much carbon is in that forest you figure out what the deforestation rate of the forest would be, right? So if we don't do anything, how quickly would this forest disappear? Um, and then you know, so let's say there's a million tons of carbon in the trees and branches, et cetera, um, and it's gonna disappear in 10 years. Well, that means that every year it's left standing, you've saved the world from an additional 100,000 tons of carbon. So you get that process registered and there's registries that issue you a carbon certificate that says you've saved those 100,000 tons and those can be used by Etihad to, um, to net net reduce their emissions. So they don't need to do it internally, they can do it elsewhere. So the big advantage of the carbon markets 
is that it allows the economy to sort of grow, but at the same time, um, it incentivizes the investment in reduction of carbon at its most efficient levels. <clears throat> so I'm sorry if it was a little too long-winded. <laughs> It was a very it was a very good explanation, actually. Okay, but very what good. what you describe almost sounds too good to be true. That's a beautiful virtuous cycle that we we just heard about, and it sounds though like and and I I know that this was why this was controversial in 1997 when Kyoto introduced a, a carbon market concept, and then again in 2015 when Paris Agreement actually put it in. These continue to be controversies because it essentially acknowledges the existence of carbon going into the air. It acknowledges the existence of greenhouse gas emissions. And also, it seems to create a paradigm where just if you follow the rules, you'll hit your target. But how does this actually pull carbon? How does this actually pull the greenhouse gases out of the air? How does this lower emissions? I mean, I'd add to, I'd add to that to kind of say... Um, you know, and maybe this is unfair, but I would add to say why why hasn't carbon trading been kind of more successful? Essentially, it's it's such a good idea. Like, what what why in the real world hasn't it become sort of everywhere? Um, well, it is it, <clears throat> it it's had a cycle, right? So uh, the first Kyoto phase was followed by the European. Um, uh, was was basic the big engine behind the first Kyoto phase was the uh, European emission trading scheme, um, and under the European emission trading scheme, the the EU allowed for carbon credits to be utilized um, to offset part of the liability of these companies that were part of the EU ETS, and so that drove investment into carbon mitigating activities which generated carbon credits, which were bought by these European companies and given to their, um, to their, um, uh, to, to their regulator in payment for the carbon that they were emitting in, in the EU. Um, but we had this thing, which was the global financial crisis. Um, and what it, the result of the global financial crisis in 2008 was that, um, you know, for example, a, a company that was given 100,000 allowances, or in our example, I think we said 800,000, and then um, you know they were able to emit uh, up to 800,000. Those companies started um, were operating at 50% capacity, and they reduced their their emissions of carbon naturally, and so um, the the market was over flooded with allowances. Uh, in Europe, and so the price of carbon collapsed. So there's zero demand around the world for carbon. Uh, on top of that, politicians at the time um, basically said, you know, we're, we're, we're um, yes, climate change exists. Climate change is, a, um, is, however, it is, we have bigger problems, right? We have economic problems. We can't look at this problem right now, which, by the way, is an interesting thing because we've had the equivalent of a global financial crisis in the pandemic. And we've come out the other side in the carbon markets and in climate as well, um, as more of as a, as a solution to get out of this problem than as something that, um, that, that, that we can't afford. So it's a very different paradigm uh, from the global financial crisis 
and 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 today. So I think you know all this talk in terms of carbon is is definitely here to stay, and it's being seen as a solution, not as a as something we simply can't afford. Do you, do you think that that period when um, it, it had its its peak before the financial crisis, and and associated with it at the time, I mean anecdotally. Um, I did hear of several schemes that that went wrong for investors. There was a lot of hype around carbon trading, and so there ended up with investors losing a lot of money from uh, less than ethical uh, players in the market. Do you think that hurt um, the, the the idea as well? Well, the the first the first thing that I you know went because a lot of I've I've been hearing that a lot right in terms of. Uh, a sort of certain lack of integrity, uh, you know, uh, certain a lot of problems, and and I always sort of scratch the surface, and I say, okay, well, give me an example. Um, and and there, there's actually one example that I know of, which was actually a tax fraud that was perpetrated in the EU uh, around the trading of carbon credits. Um, but it's not a direct function of carbon credits. Um, it was simply a tax fraud. Um, other than that fraud, um, there, there, there aren't any other ones. Um, there, what there are, because for you to get a carbon credit, you have to take all of the information of the underlying project, take it into a registry, and go through a rigorous process of following the methodology, which is a blueprint on how to get to the point where you get carbon credits, measuring, et cetera, uh, with auditors that are independent to yourself and all this other stuff. It's a costly and very transparent process. And then you end up with the carbon credit. Um, so there, there was, there's literally no example of, of fraud in those processes. What there is in the market is is a library of methodologies that that you follow to generate carbon credits that were put forth by the UN during the first Kyoto phase that when judged with the knowledge that we have today uh, do not have environmental integrity, right? They, so you would get carbon credits back in, you know, in, in 2004 for putting up a solar project in, in Vietnam, um, and if you look at that transaction today, you say, well, they shouldn't have gotten carbon credits for that activity because it was not additional, meaning it was not, carbon credits were not instrumental in the decision to make the investment. And, I, and I'll agree with that. Um, but the rigor of, of following the methodology, et cetera, that, that, that was followed to the T. Um, so we, we, you know, like every business, so like every market, you have to improve the methodologies, become more rigorous over time, um, and, and improve, but, but I don't think there was a lot of, uh, fraud or. Sorry, sorry, before you jump in, Kelsey, can I just clarify that for those listening for carbon credits to be issued, a project must demonstrate that it wouldn't have been, uh, it wouldn't have been in funded otherwise if there wasn't the the, the associated uh, carbon credit aspect to it. That's exactly right. So that's that's the concept of additionality. So were carbon credits additional to you making the decision to invest in Project X? 
right? And that's where a lot of the uh, early um, projects within the, the Kyoto framework um, sort of when, when we look at them from today's vantage point uh, sort of fell short, right? Um, what projects would, 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 uh, would say, for example, let's say you were going to invest in a, in a solar project in Vietnam and you were making an 18% IRR, um, intuitively you would say, well, I, if you're making 18%, you know, the, the carbon credits, without carbon credits, why on earth would you need carbon credits? Uh, what these projects did way back then is they would say, well, you're not, you're not really looking, you know, getting 18% in Vietnam is not the same thing as getting Vietnam 18% in, in the UK. Um, the risks are completely different. You know, there were a lot of project risks. There are a lot of other risks that we needed to mitigate. I want to dig more into the work of what air carbon exchange does. But first, I just want to better understand, because you were speaking to this earlier, just how a carbon credit is measured, who's regulating it, who's, who's actually providing the oversight as to how a credit gets generated. Sure. Um, so a carbon credit is generated when you do something over and above business as usual, right? So think of any activity. Um, so let's not let's not use forestry again. Let's uh, let's let's maybe use something that's that's more common in uh, in the Middle East, for example. Um, so business as usual would be that um, you know a, a particular oil refinery um, refines the oil. Um, and and um, has a flue gas that emits certain gases while it's doing that. And a lot of these companies actually are capturing a lot of that gas, but not 100% of it, right? So that's business as usual. So a carbon project would be, why don't we go and capture that last 10% of emissions that are going into the atmosphere? That's not a economically interesting thing for business as usual activity and so it's not done right so the first thing that the litmus test is is the, is our project going to be better than business as usual so in our example it is so then um you you go there and and you put in some kind of a um uh, a stopper that that where you accumulate all of this gas and then you use the gas for creating bio you know fuel or uh, additives or whatever it is. Um, so you've you've prevented that that um, that that molecule from going into the atmosphere. So what you need to do is you need to um, uh, create um, find a methodology within a, an approved registry. The largest registry is called Vera. It sits in Washington D.C. But there are others. There's Gold Standard. There's um, there's one in in Qatar called uh, the GCC. So there's there's several registries. You go to the registries, you present your your project, uh, they approve your project, uh, you get a project ID, uh, then you do your project, then you send an auditor in to check that you did exactly what you said you were going to do. And it's very important that you um, measure it um, and uh, measure the the reductions according to your promise under your your, your registration, and only then does the registry give you the total number of carbon credits that you have mitigated. At that point, you can sell it to someone 
that needs to tell the world that they've reduced their emissions. So they, let's say, Etihad buys those carbon credits from the project that was done in the oil refineries, and now they cancel those carbon credits. So no one else can then say it. So by that carbon credit, what it does is um, Etihad can now say they financed that project, right? Because they bought those carbon credits. Um, so that's the, that's the cycle. So I want to bring in the work of the exchange now because it sounds like this was is about where an exchange like yours would come in. So Air Carbon Exchange, you securitize carbon credits into fungible and tradable securities with transparent pricing and real-time trading. So take a big step back and actually tell us what that what that means. What what does that look like? Well, our our innovation was is basically a very simple innovation. Um, we we looked at traditional commodities and we um, and we realized that the carbon markets were were trading incredibly inefficiently. So in our example of the you know the the, the flu gas recovery, um, the the, um, uh, the the seller of the credits traditionally would be doing an over the counter transaction. They would be flooded with brokers that would be taking 20, 30, 40% of the, of the carbon credits and big bites of the, of the apple, if you will, to find buyers. So there was this, 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 this ecosystem of brokers that were taking anywhere from 20 to 40 to even 50% of the value, economic value of the transaction um, because carbon credits were, were trading like paintings. Right. So every time someone had to sell a carbon credit to someone else, they would have to tell them the whole story of the underlying project. If you look at traditional commodities, the way they operate, you know, soybeans this is my go to example. The soybeans sit in a warehouse and what trades on the exchange are digital receipts. So what we created was that same concept, but for the carbon markets. So instead of having a physical warehouse, we create a trust. We define the kind of carbon credits that can, can be in that trust. So let's say we, we create a, uh, a trust that only accepts carbon credits from forestry projects, right? Um, so if you have a carbon credit that's eligible under forestry, you put it into the trust and we give you a digital receipt on the exchange. Now there's a tradable instrument on the exchange. No one needs to ask questions about the underlying project because they know it fits the definition of that receipt. Um, so now thousands of projects can trade very quickly, very efficiently, low cost, transparent pricing. Um, and, and that's what we brought to the market, right? That was our innovation. So I, I wanna ask if I you know, wanna offset my family trip this summer because I can't avoid taking a plane um, or I bought some Bitcoin and I'm feeling bad about the, you know, the energy intensity of the mining of the Bitcoin that I bought. Can I can I buy credits on, on the exchange as an individual or is this something only for for corporations to use like VW or Audi? Yeah, we're we're very institutional focused. Um, so um, we're, we're we, we do have some individuals on 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 the platform. But they must um, they must be accredited investors, um, and so I, I believe that's a threshold of at least two million dollars in liquid assets. So we don't um, we don't um, 
focus on anything retail. So you, you, it's still, it, would you say that this is still the domain of both the sophisticated and the institutional investor at the moment? Um, actually, that's, that's <laughs> what I think is it's, it's actually not, it's not even that, right? So um, th there's literally trillions of dollars in the hedge fund industry um, that's sitting on the sidelines and they know that we should be going long carbon because um, we're moving into a carbon constrained world. But when they do the, before we showed up, they would do the research and they would see that, um, that you know, if they were to invest in, in this asset class, they would have to buy carbon from a you know, forest X. And is that a good deal? Uh, is there a good price signal? Could they do a mark to market? So all of those things we that that fund managers and and asset managers look for before they invest in a, in a project or in a in a in a sector was, it was simply not there. Um, so that's what we've created, right? So we're looking to unlock those institutional investors, which is you know frankly our our biggest contribution to climate change. If we're able to unlock that capital. It's going to flood the market. Price of carbon is going to go up. And if the price of carbon goes up, more investment will be done in carbon mitigating activities. So that's our sort of, uh, I, I like to think of that as our contribution. So I understand that there is, that, that carbon credits help uh, sort of fund um, activities, whether you use the example of the, of the forestry or otherwise, um, to help uh, offset the, you know, the global emissions that are out there. But you also use this phrase carbon constrained world. And, and this comes to these commitments, particularly in Glasgow last year, um, towards, you know, net zero, and even the UAE is setting 2050, that will work towards net zero. Now net zero, as I understand it, and forgive me, um, I'm not an expert where I'm telling you something you already know, Bill. But the idea is that you reduce the the, the carbon that you that you produce, or you find a way to be more efficient, when you're producing it, and there are different things that you can do. I mean, obviously, there's, um, you know, you can buy credits that offset that, but that seems to be one tool in the arsenal. You can also do carbon capture. Um, you can also, you know, technology is being developed to to literally suck carbon out of the air. But also operations themselves, whether you talk about an airline running on sustainable fuel, would would make a big difference. So, in 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 a world if if, if we say that everything's going to go well and carbon is going to be reduced. How does that affect the market for carbon trading down the line if there is less carbon being produced in total? Yeah, I mean, uh, if, if all goes well, um, you know, the, the price of carbon will go to zero because the cost of, um, of, of mitigating a ton of carbon uh, also goes to zero, and we find different fuels. We 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 change our um, our activities. Um, you know what you the direct air carp capture. What you just uh, uh, alluded to, which is uh, commonly referred to as DAC, um, is is a process where you simply capture the carbon molecules out of the atmosphere. Um, maybe solidify them into some kind of biochar of some kind, and then um, you know either bury them or put them into cement, um, which goes into permanent structures. So that's a 
that's a net net reduction in 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 carbon in the atmosphere and and that is the future right but today for you to do a dac project you're talking you need to sell carbon at at least a thousand dollars a ton for it to begin to be of any uh, of any economic benefit right so the the that technology will get to a point where we can do it in scale and 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 inexpensively but the reality of the matter is that that's we're not there today um i'm you know this may sound a little um you know a little sort of negative um i'm i'm very negative in terms of humanity's ability to um not reach that two percent um uh, uh temperature increase that's that's bandied about I, i'm very negative in the short term but i'm very positive in the long term in terms of humanity's capability to to win the battle against climate change but i think in the medium term we will blow right through that two percent very quickly sorry two degree right yes two degree um, we're we're going to blow through that very quickly. I believe we're going to be faced with some, uh, and we're already seeing that we're going to be faced with you know some um, you know with climate refugees and flooding and economic um, uh, issues as a result of climate change. And then you know Mother Nature will coax us into um, acting more responsibly, and and we'll turn that corner. But I, I think we are going to get much closer to the edge before we. Um, before we 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 break the cycle and and so you know carbon trading I, I hope one day will disappear um, but it is it is essential uh, in the in in the short and medium term. I mean, is it in some ways equivalent to 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 the use of natural gas as a, a kind of bridging um, fuel? You know, to you know until we can get enough scale on renewables and we can. We can find alternative, um, you know, cleaner sources. Even though gas is much cleaner than other other fuels, coal, oil, it's still not considered, you know, completely, you know, green. Um, and so, in the same way that carbon carbon trading, carbon credits, will will also be a bridging tool to kind of get us to get us there now, while we don't have the other mechanisms in place yet. You know, it's almost like, you know, a couple of weeks ago, the message. I think it was at the the Global Energy Forum the Atlantic Council had, which is you know don't unplug from the current system until the new system is built, and so is 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 carbon trading sort of a bridge to that new system until we get there? Yeah, I believe it smooths the 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 transition, right? So what's important is that countries push the cap down over time. If they don't, if they keep the cap in one place and they just allow business as usual, then there's not a lot of incentive for money to go towards cl climate mitigating activities. So countries need to tighten the screws um, in order to um, in order to do that. Um, so that's that's very important. And and you're seeing you know carbon taxes popping up in different jurisdictions around the world. So that's. Um, you know, that's that's very much happening. Mustafa asked a sort of long term, long range future question, but I want to end on a shorter term future question, which is the International um, Institute of International Finance has put the 
potential carbon credit market at worth $50 billion by 2030, which seems, when you think that like Apple is worth $3 trillion, <laughs> seems low. What do, what do you think? It seems like a small, small potential, actually. Um, I think that's a very small, um, that's a very small number. Um, you know, we're, we're looking, you know, McKinsey's talking about uh, 2 billion tons of carbon being traded. So, you know, um, it's even those numbers really don't, don't, don't make much sense. If you, if you, every time a country talks about, I'm sorry, a company talks about net zero, um, and you add all of those countries up, it's, it's, you know, current size of the carbon market, um, is, is 0.2% of, of, of that, um, of that promise, if you will. Um, so it has, it has potential in the, in, even in the medium term to just explode in terms of the amount of carbon that's necessary for us to transition there. Um, but, you know, I, I think you touched on the, the DAC is, is an important thing and, and an analogy that I always, um, that I, I thought of, that I wanted to sort of leave you with is, you know, this, this idea of a bathtub that's being filled with water, right? Um, it doesn't, it, you know, it's very important that you uh, reduce the trickle of water in order to not have it overflow very quickly. But even if you reduce the trickle, it's still going to overflow. So what's really important is the DAC that you've that you alluded to earlier. Uh, we need to figure out a way to take the carbon that's in the atmosphere um, out, uh, not only reduce how quickly we're increasing it, but actually take some out and 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 ensure that it doesn't overflow. Uh, all of that is 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 being addressed by the carbon markets in the form of price signals. So if you're able to do a DAC project. There are people out there that are willing to pay you $400 a ton. If you do a forestry project, which is more common, less costly, um, you know, it's trading at $10 to $12 a ton. So there's the, the, the market forces are pushing you to make investments into this more important activity. So if you back, uh, you know, climate change, uh, but at the same time, you, you want to also underestimate humanity's ability to, to help itself, then perhaps the carbon market is, is, the, is the place to, to explore. Um, Bill Pazos, co-founder and managing director of Air Carbon Exchange. Thanks so much for being with us, for talking to us and for educating us today. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Kelsey Warner, thank you so much. Thank you. All that remains to thank our production team, Gali Burrows, Mahmoud Rida, Aisha Khan, and you all for listening. Do join us again next time.